speaking to us tonight, God. Lord, we pray that you be glorified. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody says. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to come back into this passage in verse uh, number 12. Let's back into verse 11. It says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. As as the the Jewish law custom was to to have a sacrificial uh, animal to use that blood to be put on that altar they did not bring the animal into the altar they didn't bring the animal in there to the holy of holies they only brought the blood the body was discarded the body was sent out it was shamed it was a reproach it was nothing to look at it was something to be burned and, and, and we sometimes lose this reality is that this animal is a, a, a type of Christ. From the very first animal that died when God killed that animal and clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of that animal, it was something horrible to see. But it spoke of Christ. Because there would have to be a redeemer for sin. The Bible says in Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And the holy place of God is so holy, these these animals, the, the body cannot come in and defile the temple of God. And then we continue into this next verse. It says, wherefore Jesus also... See, he's the fulfillment of this animal sacrificial system. This is why we don't sacrifice animals today. Not only is the Levitical priesthood gone and done away with, now Jesus is the, is the high priest. He's of the, the priesthood of Melchizedek, so we no longer go under the Levitical law. We are under his priesthood. But just as those animals came, it says, Wherefore Jesus also, because he fulfilled the animal sacrifice once and for all. It says, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. See, he's not going to do it with anybody else. God came to do it himself. God came to do something that we couldn't do. It wasn't the blood of bulls or goats or heifers or even one of our own. But it had to be the blood of God in flesh. It had to be pure blood, innocent blood, holy blood. It had to be God. Amen? Unless God do it, it's not going to be done. It said that he would sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, meaning that they took Jesus out to that hill, Golgotha. They took him outside the city where he was spit on and ridiculed and and shamed and mocked and spoke evil of. And he didn't open his mouth. He didn't rebuke them. The creator allowed the creation to speak ill of him, and he never spoke a cross word because he was on a mission for the joy that was set before him. His body was breaking, his spirit was heavy, but he could see you. He could see your soul. He could see that there was no hope for you unless his blood was shed on that hill. Unless his body was offered as a sacrifice for our sin, he knew there was no hope for me or for you to be reconciled to the Father. As his body's being crushed and his soul's getting heavy, he sees you. They take him outside the camp. Do you see the, the, see the, the significance? The, the animal, as the animal was killed, it was just burned out the camp. They just had a burn pile. They didn't want the animal in there in the temple. They just wanted the blood. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. And he allowed his body to be abused and maligned for us. They took him outside the camp up on that hill of Golgotha, and it says... That he suffered without the gate. Verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Hey, this isn't very much preached anymore. Christianity is supposed to be have your best life now. 
but you just read we're supposed to go and identify with the reproach of Jesus, which was outside the camp, disregarded, spoken evil of, maligned, spit on, looked down on, despised, and we're supposed to go out and identify with him. We're not supposed to look for our own glory. We're not supposed to look for our own benefit. We're not supposed to exalt ourselves above others. But as Jesus told the disciples, we're supposed to be servants to others. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to lay down his life for others. And we are called likewise to lay down our lives, that we would submit ourselves to Christ, that we would submit ourselves to the use of the Spirit of God. And when we do, God can then use us to minister to others. Most people are too busy building their own kingdoms and their own homes, but God wants to use you, and he can't use you until you go and identify with the reproach of Christ. Until you come to that place where you come to an end of self, and then God can use you to reach others, but so long as you want to be exalted, God's not going to. We make a mockery of, of, of this verse whenever we begin to establish our own kingdoms and exalt ourselves above others when God has called us to bear his reproach. How do we bear his reproach? By being united spiritually with Jesus. It's called a spiritual union. It is being reconciled to the Father, but it is being one with Christ, abiding in Him and He in you. It is being in, in a close spiritual union, a relationship, communion with Jesus. One of the things that is lacking in many of our lives is spiritual union. Without spiritual union, it's all smoke and mirrors. Without spiritual union, it is religion. It's a form of religion, but not knowing the power thereof. It's denying the power thereof. If we don't have that union with God, all we have is the tapestries. All we have is the choir robe. But we don't sing from the soul. We don't sing from the heart. We just can hit the right notes, but we're not hitting God's heart when we're not unified with God. It's better, listen, it is better to be unified with God than to have the accolades of men. And we're not going to be unified with God until we understand and identify with the reproach of Christ. The reproach of Christ is that, that unification that it does not matter what the world thinks of you. It does not matter whether men think that you're smart or where people think that you have it all together. What matters most is what God thinks about you. We quote the verse, if God be for us, who can be against us? But understand the reality. It matters more that God's for you than that all the world is for you. We live for the praises of men instead of living to please the Father. We live... A life of lies until we come to a place where we are unified with God through Christ. This spiritual union is one of the things that we need the most in our lives, but it is one of the things that we do the least if we're honest. The most important thing that we could come to grips with is that we should be unified with God. Spiritual union. A spiritual union was found to be of more importance in the life of every saint. A spiritual union with God is found, is found to be of more importance than any physical condition we could find ourselves in. God, throughout the scriptures, is more concerned about your spiritual condition than your physical condition. We, most of the time, pray if we pray about our physical conditions. God is way more concerned about our spiritual condition. Well, Pastor, you're going to have to show me that. I will. Lord willing. Watch this. This is, just to continue in this, we're called to bear his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. This is not our home. We don't plant our flag here. We are ambassadors speaking of a world to come. 
There is a new heaven, a new Jerusalem that is coming to this earth. A new king is going to rule and to reign this place. And it's not going to be the Antichrist. It's not going to be the Pope. It's not going to be a one world government, Chrislam or any other thing. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the same one that was nailed to that cross, the same one that has holes in his hands. And in his side, that same Jesus is coming back to the Mount of Olives. And he will rule and reign this world from that city. That's the city we live for. We're not looking to, to, to beautify a world that is soon to come into subjugation to Jesus. We're looking to exalt his kingdom on this earth. We're looking to influence this world for the kingdom of God. We're looking for souls. We're not looking for a city here. We're looking for souls. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer... The sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is continually, right? This is not just worshiping on Sunday morning. This is not just worshiping when life's falling apart and I need to start worshiping. This is living a life of worship. He's saying the song, prepare me to be a sanctuary. What does that mean? Everywhere I go, God's there and I, it's an act of worship. Everything I do. The way that I dress, the way that I talk, the way that I drive, the way that I work, the way that I treat my spouse, the way that I treat my children or my grandchildren, the way that I treat others, the way that I honor and revere God, everything I do is an act of worship continually, worshiping God. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you live a life that continually worships God or are you still compartmentalized? Compartmentalized means you give God Sunday but not Monday. Or you give God an hour here but not an hour there. The spiritual union with, with Christ can't be shut on and shut off. It's a continuous thing. There's a story of the, 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 the Lawrence of Arabia. He brought some people from the Arabian desert into Paris, France, and, and they said that, that those, those old guys, they came in there and they never seen water come out of a faucet before. They was just amazed that they, they would turn it on and water would come. They turn it off, it'd stop. They turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. The time had come, he was going to bring them back to. Arabia, he was going to bring them back to the desert land where the camels rule. And he couldn't find them. He went to go look for them. They had wrenches out. They was trying to get those faucets. They was trying to take the handles with them. He said, you don't understand. It's not the handle that brings the water. It's because all the water from the, from the mountains, all the water from the Alps, all that water from that snow, all that water from back behind that mountain is pressed upon those pipes and it flows from there. It's connected to a source. You can't just take this and disconnect it and think that you can just turn on the water until this thing is continually connected to the right source. And we as Christians, when we're called to continually live a life that praises God, can't take that, can't take that faucet and live an unholy life and think we can just turn it on over here. But we've got to stay connected to the vine, connected to the fountain of God. And as we stay one with Christ, unified in spiritual union with Christ our God, when we stay unified with him, the river will flow out of you. Jesus said, Jesus said, if you believe on him, right, out of, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly, you'll be connected to the source. You don't have to run to men. You don't have to run to conferences. You don't have to go get your hands laid on by certain so-and-so and go to his go to his seminar. You can take a shortcut to the king. Jesus is open for business to all those that come to him and call upon him. Now is the day of salvation. This is the age of grace. Mercy endures forever. Come to the Lord today and find that 
God is ready to receive you, transform you, and create in you a heart that is a worshiper continually. Every Listen, everywhere you go, every mountain, every valley, every dark shadow, every bright corner, every hardship, every good time, every bad time, you'll still stay connected to the source. You'll still stay connected. You, you will never be disconnected from that vast wealth of water when you stay unified with Christ. Paul found this reality. This is called a a spiritual reality. Paul found this out. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Let me show you. We, we, We quote this verse. Let me show you this in Philippians 1, how Paul found this. It's so beautiful. It became more real to him than the air he breathed. Well, pastor, I think you're embellishing a little. No, I'm not. Watch. This spiritual reality that we just talked about became more real to Paul than the air he literally breathed. In Philippians 1, let's start with verse number 16. He said, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and not therein. Do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Just a little background before we get to it. Paul was preaching the gospel, and the gospel was being canceled by society, like Dr. Seuss. The, the gospel was literally being canceled, and anybody that preached the gospel was going to get in trouble. And they knew Paul was the main one preaching the gospel. So if you wanted to get Paul in trouble, what you do? Make sure that that gospel he preaches just gets spread around more so it ruffles more feathers and gets him finally canceled for good. That was their idea. Paul said, I don't care. The only thing I care about is that that seed was sown into somebody's heart. They preached it to try to get me canceled. They shared that track to try to get me canceled, to try to ruffle feathers. But what I care about is Christ was preached. The seed was sown in somebody's life. He cared more about the gospel going forward into people's lives than his own safety. His own safety was of less importance to him than the gospel being preached. It says in verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. In other words, he's okay. He's okay if it costs his life. That's fine. It's just that Christ be preached. You know, I didn't finish the story earlier, but there was this, the German mystic that he was a holy and devout man, and, and, and one day this woman came and thrust a baby at his arms and said, here's the fruit of your sin, and walked away, and he never knew her. And all the town had said, look, behold, the holy and righteous man, the man of God, look, he's a sinner like us, look. And he was broken. He sought God. He was broken over it, and God told him to not, say a word God told him to suffer the reproach you might be thinking but won't they think that I'm a sinner God told him to keep his mouth shut so he identified with the reproach of Jesus he kept his mouth shut he went home raised the child as if it was his own and 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 years later this woman came back to the town Because conviction had so wrought her and tore her up, she had to stand before the whole town and tell everybody the lie that she had told, told everybody the truth that this man never did this. She lied. She cast this aspersion on his character. And the whole city, the whole city beheld this man who they lied about and he never said a word. It broke them to the core. 
because there was a man whose reputation was maligned completely and totally, and he never said a word. He suffered it. He allowed it to happen. He never defended himself. God told him to keep his mouth shut because God was going to save the whole city. He allowed his reputation to be trashed for years. And when this lady came and told the truth, everybody knew this guy is more than just a God. This guy was righteous. This guy had identified with the, the reproach of Christ, and it moved a whole city into revival when they realized this guy never said a word in his own defense, but he allowed it. You see, Paul's the same way. He said, you know what, whether I, this happens to my body or not, whatever, it doesn't matter as long as Christ is going forward. And that's that same identifying thing that this German mystic found. Is that if, as long as Christ goes forward, God told me to do this, that's fine. Verse 21, famous verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Not about me. It's not about my two-story house, white picket fence, two and a half dogs, and one car. It's not about my American dream. It's not about me living so I can fulfill my American dream. For me to live is Christ. If I'm living, it's so Christ can move through me. But to die, well, I gave it my best. No, that's not what he said. To die, well, I'm done. No, that's not what he said. To die is gain. Meaning no matter how good it is now, no matter how great it is now, no matter how much it's a blessing now, to actually exit the physical world and enter a complete and total spiritual world is better. Do you know that you can't launch out of the physical world like that? You can't. Just look at death and say, you know what? It's better to die. You can't do that until you find a spiritual union with Christ that has become more real to you than this physical air that you breathe. You see, the air that we breathe is physical. God is a spirit. And when we go to heaven, right, it is a spiritual place. And when we move out of this physical realm and we die, our bodies hit the ground and we leave this place, he said, that's better. You can't do that unless you have found this sweet, this sweet place where God resides in the union with his children, where this relationship, this communion with God has become to you more important than the literal air that you breathe. When this union with God has become the thing that you pursue more than anything in this world. That kind of a union Paul found it right there. Paul found it right there. And you know what? His spiritual condition had become more important to him than his physical condition. This is what I was trying to get you to see. When, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they all shouted Hosanna because they thought their physical condition was going to change. A week later, they shouted crucify him because their physical condition did not change. God was not looking to change their physical situation. He was looking to change them spiritually first. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He could have wiped out all the Romans. He could have wiped out all the Pharisees and Sadducees. He could have established his own kingdom right there, right then. But his desire was to reconcile them to God. The time for ruling and reigning will come, but God's first and primary concern is our souls. The condition of our souls is more important to God than our physical condition. And Paul found that out. He said, I, you know what, if I die, it's better. Well, Paul, I mean, your physical condition is going to go way down if you just let yourself die. It's better for me. It's better for me. That's what he said. Let's finish this out. Two more verses. He said, but if, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. 
Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You see, we, we cling to the carnal. We cling to the flesh. We cling to that which we can see and feel with our natural senses, our five senses. But Paul is over in a whole different world. And every, every child of God that is filled with the Spirit of God is in that same different world where it is our spiritual condition that takes over primary concern over the physical. Over the physical. God is good. Turn with me to, to, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Way back in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and this should be a familiar pas passage to you. We're going to start in verse 13, and as you turn in, this is, this is when Solomon has built the temple. There wasn't a temple before that. It was just a tabernacle. Now we got a temple. We got a temple now. It's one thing to have a temple. It's another thing if God's in the temple. There would be a time in the life of Israel, and God knew this. God knew it. He knew that they were going to stray away. He knew that they were going to break his heart. He knew that they were going to fall into sin. And he said, when this time comes, Solomon, when this time comes, when you mess up and you find things aren't right, this is what you need to do. Let me just say this. Well, let's look at this in verse 13. God said this. God said, if I, listen, if I shut up heaven, you don't pray to a rain God. We don't depend on Bill Gates to give us rain. It's, it's not about the climate. God is the one that's over these things. He said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. Stop. Why would God do this? Why would, why would, look, we are blessed. We are highly favored. We are the head and not the tail. We are all that in a bag of chips. Why would God allow our, our, our blessed life to begin to be diminished? Look at America. Blessings are running through our fingers like sand. We had stood on the shoulders of spiritual giants and we squandered the inheritance that had been laid up for the church. And until we come back to that foundational faith in Christ and Christ alone, come back to that reality of the crucified life, come back to the reality that we need a baptism, a fresh baptism of the Spirit in our lives to be the men and women God's called us to be. Until we find this reality, it's just going to continue to go down. Before we go on, he said, if you, if you, just think about this. If the rain stops, the locusts come, all these bad, you know what we would do? We would just get a bigger water hose. We wouldn't look to God. We would look to, we'd go to Lowe's and get the biggest water hose we could find and set up a new irrigation system. Just cut, just cut God out of it. We do that in the church when we don't depend on the Spirit of God and we use lights and smoke mirrors and machines and we, we set up the church to be a carnival atmosphere and we attract people with trinkets instead of the gospel. We do the same thing. And, and, and God was saying, look, when you find out that there's no rain, don't go to Lowe's and get a bigger water hose. Don't set up a, a, a carnival so that you can get, you know, more people. Don't do the, the, you know, the laser lights. Look to me. Look to me. When the rain stops, it should tell us there's a spiritual problem. But the church must look to the cross for the answer. 
It doesn't come from church growth seminars. It doesn't come from self-help books. It doesn't come from some idea. It comes from God and God alone when we come to the cross and the cross alone. It is through faith in Christ and Him crucified that we'll only then find the answer. So God told him that he was going to shut up the rain, he was going to send the locusts, and he was going to send the pestilence. You know what the pestilence means, right? Sickness, the diseases. He's getting his people's attention. He's trying to wake folks up. But our physical condition is deteriorating, God. Yes, son, because I care more about your spirit. I care more that you're right with me than that your life is right. We want, our, we want our lives to be so easygoing. We want our lives to be like that lukewarm, middle of the road, no, no high point, no low point, just easy come, easy go. But God is more concerned that our spirits are unified and reconciled and right with him. Our spiritual position must be fixed before our physical conditions will be remedied. Think about America. Now watch this. He said, if he, if he shuts up heaven, there'll be no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God, God set this up so that nothing would change physically until we changed spiritually. And in our own lives, it's the same way we find ourselves going through hardships. And some of us, we, we just like that, that bull in the china closet. We just, hit, we just hit wall after wall after wall after wall after wall. We wonder why we just keep hitting walls. And God said, when you keep going through those situations, and you keep going through that, and you keep going into that place, no one understand, I'm trying to get your attention. God said, if my people who called by my name, right? There's, and every single one of these points must be done. We must humble ourselves. We must pray, seek his face. We must turn from our wicked ways. You, you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to humble myself before the Lord, turn on a worship CD and worship my way out of this. God said, no, you're going to humble yourself out of it. You're going to pray out of it. You're going to seek me out of it. You're going to turn from your sin. I said this earlier, but you can, you can hire a hundred musicians from Nashville to write you the best worship song in the world, but it's not going to mean anything if you don't turn from your sin. If you don't humble yourself. If you don't humble yourself. If you don't seek his face. All these things had to be hit because God was getting their spirits right. Your spirit's out of line. When you drive down the road and your car begins to shake and vibrate and you do, 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 you know you got an alignment out. Well, you don't just put more gas in it. You just go further. Some of you might. But nothing's going to change until it gets realigned. And see, in our own lives, we, we're out of a line. I'm not going to cast dispersion on the whole church. But many in the church are out of alignment. And we just, just holding on with all we got at 10 and 2. And we wonder why it's so hard to get down the road. When Jesus said, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. The Spirit of God is that empowering Spirit that comes from above and fills the children of God and empowers us, enables us to live a life that pleases God from sun up to sundown. 
the same way Christ pleased the Father, the Spirit of God will come up on you, in you, not so you can do cartwheels in church alone, but so that you can live a holy life that pleases the Father. And, 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 he, and, and all of these things that he said were necessary in order to get us back right with God. A couple of things I want to go from here. First off, think throughout the Word of God. How many times in the Bible did this same situation present itself? Paul and Silas, midnight hour, prison cell. Not good physical conditions, but their spirit stayed right with God. They worshiped in the midnight hour. I don't know if you know this, but there was no lights in there. They was chained up in that inner portion. There was no sewer. No lights. It was horrible conditions, and they worshiped God in it. They stayed connected and unified to God through faith in Christ. And they began to worship in the dark. And God turned the light on. God changed the physical so long as the spiritual stayed unified to him. All throughout the word of God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. God's more concerned about the spiritual than the physical. Daniel, same thing. David, all throughout the Bible. Samson, go all the way through. God's more concerned that our spirits are right with him. And we stay connected and unified to him. And God will take care of the physical. But he'll sometimes use the physical to get our attention. Now look at this. Look at the next verse. He said, now, after all these things happen, now mine eyes shall be opened and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. In other words, God wasn't going to look upon his people or listen to their cries until they turned from their sins. Until God's people humbled themselves and prayed and sought his face and turned, God wasn't going to hear it. He wasn't going to hear a word of it. And sometimes we, we think naively that God will, will hear the cry of the church today when the church is compromised and lukewarm in the condition that it is. We, the people for the last I don't know, 50 years have called the church the, the age of Laodicea from the book of Revelation. You know, they've said that for a reason. Because Laodicea was the church that God said, you're lukewarm. You don't think you need anything. You think you got it all, but you don't have nothing. In other words, it's all a show. It's all a show. It's all smoke and mirrors. But the part we have to question ourselves are, is, have we settled for just watching the show? Are we okay with just the show? Have we allowed ourselves to get complacent and content with just the tapestries in the show? Or do we truly desire that God hears our prayers? One of my favorite uh, ministers was Linda Raven. And we said, you know, don't pray for revival till you're ready. And he said, most of us aren't ready. Because when revival comes, it means something. In one case, he said, if, if your church only has one prayer meeting a week, it's not ready for revival. Another, another minister said, you, when, when you're ready to be, um, when you're ready to, to be in a place where you can be inconvenienced for God, you might be ready for revival. What, what you mean we got to have a, a third prayer meeting this week? Don't you know I got to watch gun smoke? That's too much of an inconvenience on my, my lifestyle, my setting. Well, there you go. 
Revival is a life. Revival is a lifestyle. It, 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 it comes up over gun smoke. It comes up over these things. Those, those, those things will be there. But it takes precedence. Being willing to be inconvenienced for God is one of the necessities, requirements, before we can experience God's reviving. You, you can't just seek His face on Sunday. When, when God wrote this, He's not just talking about a one-time event, just like, okay, at, at 10 o'clock, seek my face, I'll meet you. He's talking about their life. He's talking about who they are as people. He's not talking about just a one-time event. He's talking about just complete change. But look at this. He said, in this place. You see at the end of that verse 15, he said, in this place. He's talking about the temple. You see that? He's talking about the temple. He's talking about the temple. He's not talking about any other place. He's talking about the temple. Prayer made in the temple is going to be heard. When it's prayed in this place of brokenness, this place of, God, I need you. God, I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I'm tired of the arm of my flesh. I'm tired of my own, my own efforts. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of the smoke and mirrors. I'm tired of settling for less than the reality of who you are in my life. I'm tired of it, Lord. I need you. I want you. I don't want to go through life not knowing you, not experiencing you. I truly want to taste that living water. I truly want to experience that, that, that spirit moving in our lives. And he said, when, when that kind of prayer is made in this place, in the temple, I'll hear it. It's got to be made in the temple. Well, there's no physical temple today. The temple's not over there. Just Dome of the Rock, but he's not talking about that. We are New Testament Christians. We are not under the Levitical law. We're not looking to serve God in a building. We're looking to serve God by faith. We're looking to serve God through faith in Christ and Him alone. Not through how beautiful a building is, but how beautiful Jesus is. Not how great a building is, but how great our God is. And the reality of the matter is this. Now that we're under, we're under the order of Melchizedek, now that we're under his priesthood, Jesus' priesthood, there's a new temple in town. It's not made with brick and mortar. It's not, it's not been made with, 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 with physical pillars. God made it by the Spirit. God made it by the Spirit. You're the temple of God. You're the temple of God. You're called to be a living house for God. Everywhere you go, you're an ambassador for God. You represent Him. You carry His reproach wherever you go. You carry the banner of His name. You carry the, the signature of His glory. You carry the presence of God because you are now the temple of God. There was a day and an hour when all the Israelites were required by the law to come to the temple and honor God. Now you are the temple of God and you carry with you His presence into your community, into your family, into your life. We don't, when, when, when we go through situations, we don't have to go and try to find a place. We are a place. God is with us. In the Great Commission, after Jesus told them to, to go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and he said, teach them, right? Make disciples. And then he said, go and know this. I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. I am with you all the way, all the way, all the way. There's never a moment that you're going to go along the way that I won't be with you. I will be with you always. There's not a moment in your life that you have to live absent the presence of God. Not a situation. 
Not a circumstance that God won't be there. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No, listen to this. No change around us matters until the Spirit begins the work of change in us. We're looking for the change around us. God's looking for the change in us. Most people, if you go to the prayer list, go to the prayer line, everything's about the physical conditions. Come on now. But you have to see that passage. We, a lot of people quote 2 Chronicles 7.14, but it goes right over their heads. It's a spiritual truth that just misses them. But the physical, you have to see this, the physical conditions were of less importance to God than the spiritual condition. God actually allowed and caused the physical conditions to diminish. And that's what we're focused on. God allowed it to diminish because he cared more about the spiritual condition. We're going to just look here about you being the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 16. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. See, you don't have to go to a physical temple now as a child of God because you've been born again, because you believed on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior. Because you've been born again, you now are the temple of God. And when you receive the Spirit of God, he lives and he dwells in that temple that is not made with hands, but is made by the Holy Ghost. And so we have the same promise that God told Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. He said, when prayer is made in my temple like this, I'm going to hear it. When holy and righteous prayer is made in the temple of God, he'll hear it. There's not a physical temple standing today. But there are millions and Lord willing billions of spiritual temples. That when we get right with God and our spiritual condition gets back in alignment with God and we become reconciled to God and we begin to repent and we begin to pray and we begin to humble ourselves and seek His face, then we know God will hear it. And He will turn. He will turn our situation around. All throughout the ages, God has done this. And God is no respecter of persons. God will keep you and protect you through the situations. You may have to go through the fire, but it won't touch you. You may have to go through the storm, but it won't kill you. You may have to go through a situation you don't want to go through, but it won't be greater than you because God is greater than it. And God is in you because you're the now the temple of God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Now look over at chapter 6. Same chapter. Same book. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse number 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And you are not your own. There, there's truth in here that's got to be unpacked, but you have to see and understand that when you become a child of God, you release the rights to yourself. How are you going to come to the cross of Calvary and still hold on to who you are and what you want and what offends you? Don't you know who I am? He said, you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You said yes to Jesus. You became his. You're no longer your own. You can't straddle that fence. You're either still your own or you're God's. Which one? Which one? As God told the nation of Israel, I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose this way. Choose this day, right? Whom you'll serve. Which one? We as Christians can't live the spirit-filled life and hold on to self. 
Hold on to the carnal. Hold on to the natural. Hold on to the physical. We have to let those things go so that we can truly hold to Christ. He said, you are not your own. Verse 20, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What was the price that Jesus paid for you? What was the price? That blood bought you. We are a blood-bought church. We have not been redeemed, as Peter said, with the blood of bulls or goats, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. He was born to die. He was born to lay down his life. He saw you in eternity past. He saw you and he saw me in a lost condition, in a helpless place. We had been infected by sin in a fallen world. And unless God moved heaven and earth and came here and laid down a holy life to sacrifice for our sins, we would all burn in hell. But God is not willing that any should perish. God's desire is to save and he came to save whosoever would believe by faith. His desire is that men would look to the cross of Calvary, believe and be saved. It was that blood of the Lamb that bought us. We are a blood-bought church. The power of God will never come on that which is not blood-bought. The Spirit of God will never re resurrect that which has not died. And He will not empower that which is not blood-bought. Church has to come back to the reality that unless we are blood-bought, washed in the blood of the Lamb, we are not His. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. That, in other words, live a life that continually worships Him. Glorify Him. Not just on Sunday. Not when you need a new car. Not when you need a new jacket. Which you should glorify Him in those times too. But glorify Him, this is, this is speaking of a life that continually glorifies Him. A life lived, not that you're exalted, not that you're put on a pedestal, not that people look to you, not that people run to you, but that when people see you, they, they say, Jesus is in that person. They say, the, God has done something amazing in, in, in Brother Rick. I mean, he, he, he was this way and now he's that way. I mean, God's done something awesome in Sister Susie. I mean, she, she used to be like this, and now she's like that. God's in her. She done died to self, and God is alive in her. She was bought with a price, and now her life is lived to glorify the king. This calling is on all our lives. God's desire is that you're, you're, you have found a place where you're in spiritual union with Christ all the time. And God invites you into this. You don't work into it. You don't labor to get into it. You believe into this. God did every bit of the work. He just calls you to let go of you and hold on to him by faith in what he did at Calvary. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, God will bless and birth a new, a new beginning in your life. Just like he did with people in 2 Chronicles when he was talking to Solomon. He would birth a new thing in them when they prayed this prayer. If you'll seek God, pray, turn from yourself and turn to God, humble yourself before him. God will hear you. God will meet you. And God will transform you even today. Hallelujah.